God. Living for the kingdom of God should get more important the older we get. And that's where we're headed. If you have your Bibles, join us in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21, and follow along as I read the word of God. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We continue our series today called Our Family by con- considering a perspective that I believe can best be gained by being together, together in likeness of mind. Paul's going to show us today a tragic mindset that the world has, a mindset that I firmly believe Christians can even fall into without the unity, fellowship, and strength that the church provides us. And if you and I lose our grip on what is most important in this life, then we will, like the world, be in danger of being in the most tragic group of people that have ever existed. People that should be living for better things, but ended up neglecting the kingdom of God for vain, temporary things of the world. So we're going to call our lesson today, Get a Grip. And this is not a critical, judgmental blame game to anybody, but this is a hope to rally us all together to think about what is most important, the kingdom of God. That's what the point of today's lesson is. Now, you and I have gone over many valuable lessons on this series already on the importance of being in our family together. And I'm going to recap these lessons very quickly just so we understand where we're coming from. Number one lesson of this series, we, we, we titled it Brought Near. And we discussed how we were once far off from God. We did not have a relationship with God. But because of the blood of Christ that we just celebrated, we are now adopted children of God and we are near God to love God and to be loved by God forever because we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Lesson number two was called Lean on Me. We do not have to face this life and this Christian path alone if we will strive for unity together with our church by leaning on each other in strength and boldness, the boldness and strength that comes from the church and comes from being near Jesus. We can lean on each other, and that's important. Number three, we titled In the Trenches. In the Trenches. We are together in the Christian race, in the Christian fight, and we can depend upon one another by striving after deep, rich fellowship that we receive from being near Jesus and his church. And that's the point of gathering together like we're doing today is for deep, rich fellowship. Number four, Pastor Mel spoke to us about the amazing advantages of being a part of God's family. We receive so many blessings from being a part of God's family by adoption. 
Pastor Mel looked at seven of those last week. And these advantages should shape our perspective on being how, on how amazing it is to be a part of God's family. How amazing it is to be a part of God's church. So those are the four lessons we've been going through. And today marks our fifth lesson. And we ask the Lord today to continue to change and shape our perspective on what matters most in this life. So that each of the lessons we've already looked at can make a greater impact in our heart, make a greater impact in our church, and make a greater impact in our community and our world. But I want you guys to know that I'm like you, okay? I'm like you. I struggle doing what's best at all times. Did you know that about your pastor? I struggle doing what's best at all times. Because my vision is often deterred by things that don't matter this much. And I'm going to give you a little illustration of that. I was driving in my car the other day, okay? And my phone made a noise, one of those notification noise. I don't know if you guys do this, but I, I glanced at it to see what it was. And I realized that it was my turn to play Scrabble with my wife on my phone. And uh, my wife and I play Scrabble together back and forth. And I told you that it keeps my mind sharp. And I like Scrabble. It's fun. Uh, but I realized it was my turn to play. And no, I will, you know, alleviate your concerns. I did not play my turn while driving. I did not. But I did consider it for a moment because, number one, I'm that good at driving. And number two, I'm that good at Scrabble. I'm teasing. But I did not play my turn. But I was tempted to. I was tempted to grab my phone, play my turn, and assume that I would be fine. But I put my phone down. And I would learned from past mistakes. I put my phone down. I focused on driving my car. But the very fact that I was tempted to play proves something, right? That even though Scrabble means absolutely nothing in this life, and keeping myself safe and others safe on the road means a lot, I was tempted to trade the very important for the nonsensical. And that's an illustration of what happens with us. And the question is this, why are we like that? Why are we like this? Why do we sometimes live for and focus upon things of little to no importance? at the cost of neglecting what is most important. Why? And this is Paul's plea to us today to get a grip on what matters the most. Get a grip. So he says this to us. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul is associating himself with us, fellowshipping with us. I have not already obtained this, but one thing I do. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Even Paul tells us that he had to look ahead and keep striving forward to what matters the most, because he had not yet finished his race. He had not yet completed his race. Currently in his life, as Paul is writing this letter, Paul was not yet perfectly Christ-like. He had not yet reached the prize of entrance into the kingdom of God. So there was more work to be done, and there was more race to be run, quite simply. So Paul had to keep running. That's what he's saying. But I want you to imagine being the Apostle Paul at this moment. You're in jail. You're persecuted because you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And you're probably so far ahead of your peers, spiritually speaking, that you're tempted to coast. You're tempted to look back and see how much distance you've put between yourself and your peers and 
go on autopilot and coast for a time. Do you guys remember the old story of the tortoise and the hare? That's exactly what happens in that story, isn't it? There's a hare who's fast, and he can get a great big lead on the tortoise just by running his natural speed. And along the way, he gets a lot of comfortable leads, and he takes breaks because of that. And I don't want to play spoiler here, but I'm, I'm assuming you guys all know the end of the story. The hare doesn't finish. He doesn't finish the race, and he loses to the tortoise. And I believe Paul could have had this mindset. He was ahead of his peers. He was running very well. He probably could have taken a lot of time off and been months and maybe even years ahead of his fellow Christians. And I can imagine this is a temptation for anybody who runs physically, either on foot or in a vehicle, to get comfortable and complacent with your lead instead of continuing to drive until we reach the finish line. And this is what Paul is saying to us today. He says, I have not yet completed my race. So I can't get comfortable. I can't get complacent. I must keep looking and running forward. Why did Paul think this way? Why did he think this way? Why not, Paul? Why not just coast? Why not be okay with where you're at? And this is the answer he gives us. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's why. Paul had the perspective of giving everything he had to this race quite simply because that's exactly and precisely what the Lord Jesus gave to Paul in order to spare him from death and separation from God. That's why. Jesus gave us everything. We just celebrated it. He gave us everything so that he might save us and so that he might be with us forever. He gave everything. So in Paul's mindset, Paul's thinking about that. He's thinking, how can we not give all to Jesus for all he's done for us? That's logical, right? That's a logical train to follow. And you can even say it this way. Jesus first got a grip on us. He first got a grip on my soul. And now he's going to tell us today to get a grip on something. I love this quote from my favorite pastor, favorite preacher ever. He said this, Charles Spurgeon said once, he said, Jesus gave both his hands to the nails. How can I keep back one of mine from his blessed work? And isn't that a great quote? He gave both his hands to the nails. How can I keep one back from his blessed work? We strive to get a grip today because Jesus first got a grip on us. And that's the point. Paul begins his plea for us to get a grip by telling us that Jesus is worthy of our entire lives. He is worthy, right? Is Jesus worthy of our entire lives? Is he worthy of your entire life? Would you say that in your soul? He is worthy. Now, Jesus certainly considered you worthy at one point in your life for his entire life. Did you know that? That's exactly, again, what we just celebrated. Jesus gave his entire life because he considered you worthy of it. And we are the creation. He is the creator. He is our God. If anyone is worthy in this relationship, it's the creator. It's the Lord. Correct? And today's Communion Sunday. This is what we do. We pause and remember what he did for us. It's the day that we ask you to think about Jesus and remember what he's done for you. Because remembering can be a powerful tool when done correctly. When was the last time you thanked the Lord Jesus for the cross and the blood without communion? You just thanked him. When was the last time you fell on your face in worship of the king who not only did not condemn you, but became flesh and took your sins upon himself so that he might save you? Has it been a while? 
It's possible, and I believe it's Paul's hope, that by simply considering the worthiness of Jesus, that we will be convinced to get a grip on what matters the most, living for the kingdom of God. But Paul didn't just stop with seeking for us to remember. I think there's a part of Paul that thought he must go further than that. He wants to give us another powerful motivation to get a grip. But before we get to that, since we are continuing our series called Our Family, I want you to notice, even in these couple verses, I want you to notice the unity and the fellowship Paul is seeking to have with us. Notice the language. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul is basically saying, consider how your leaders live. Consider how we live. Consider how those live who are the most mature Christians you know. How do they live? What do they live for? Do they chase after worldly pursuits? Or have they given themselves to serving the kingdom of God? Paul said in one verse that he was mature, but that he had more race to run. And I would say that about myself and Pastor Mel and others who are in this church. We're mature, we're maturing, but we're not done. We have much race to run still, and so we look forward. But Paul wants us to take those models and those examples and use those in our lives, because you won't get that vision or that model anywhere but the church. Do you know that? You won't find it anywhere else. You won't find it on the internet. You won't find mature Christians completely abandoning their lives for the kingdom of God anywhere except the church. And Paul is saying, we're seeking to do this together. We're seeking to do this together, to get a grip together. And so Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal how necessary this is for you. God will do the work. Now we can all get a grip today if we simply pay attention to the Word of God. And that's the reason of the teaching of the Word of God. Because simply by hearing and by listening to the Word of God, we can get a grip. But I don't want us to make a mistake today. We will not get this perspective without the church. Or we won't keep this perspective. Now, you could find professing Christians any sphere of life. Anywhere you go, there will be professing Christians, any part of the world. But you will not find mature Christians who think about the kingdom of God except for within the confines of the church. Because as we'll learn soon, the draw of this world and the snares of the devil are too strong. They're too strong. Without the strength, without the fellowship, without the unity that the church provides. If you and I are not yet committed to the church, it does not matter what we desire to do for Jesus because it won't happen. Not faithfully. Do you know how many times I've heard grand declarations by people of what they plan to do and how Jesus is going to get their entire lives and then they don't commit to the church? And guess what? It doesn't materialize. It doesn't happen. Because Jesus designed the church to be our stronghold against evil. This is how he designed it. You will not do well unless you have the stronghold of the church. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. If we don't commit to the church, we're supposed to fail. Do you know that? That's how it's designed. If you don't commit to the church, you're supposed to fail because you're attempting to do the opposite plan of what God taught you to do. There was a man who tried this once. His name was King Saul. King Saul was supposed to be the king of Israel for a long time. But one time he thought he had a better plan than God. He thought he had a better plan. 
He thought it was better to spare the resources of an evil king and to turn them into good sacrifices for the Lord than utterly destroying them like God told him to do because Saul's plan was better than God's, or at least it appeared so. Because it's logical. It's logical to not waste any resources, right? We're going to talk about this this coming Wednesday, about being good stewards. So in in Saul's mind, he's thinking, I don't want to waste any resources. I want to take those evil resources, turn them into good sacrifices, and I'll give them to God. And that's that's what Saul's logic said. But God said, Saul, I want you to destroy them. God's word trumps our logic. Do you know that? God's word, whatever it says, no matter how it says it, is more true than any sound logic you can find on this earth. But Saul knew better than God, apparently. And we know better than God when we pull away from the church to follow Jesus on our own terms. I can do this on my own without the church. And if so, if we have that mindset, then just like Saul, we will fall right into the snares of the devil and our legacy will change from someone who could have faithfully followed Jesus to someone who refused to listen to God and who didn't follow Jesus. The church is God's singular plan for our spiritual health and for the building up of his kingdom, the church. You could say it this way, it's the church or bust. It's the church or bust. If we don't commit to the church, then we won't follow Jesus and we won't make it to the kingdom of God. It's that simple. It's the church or bust. Paul continues with one more powerful motivation to get a grip for living for the kingdom of God. This is how he ends. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have on us. Once again, Paul tells us to keep our eyes on those who are walking according to the example that Jesus gave us. We have to be honest here today, okay? That the godliest examples of people that we can find anywhere are all in the church. They're all in the church. That doesn't mean everyone in the church is mature. That's not what Paul is saying. But he's saying the best examples you can find of people who are living for Christ are all in the church. And Paul had given us, he'd given the Philippian church a powerful example of what it looks like to get a grip by his own example. Because Paul is in prison writing this letter to the church. And he's letting them understand the the unique example of Paul's life that they can gain simply by looking at him. Because Paul had given up Paul's desires for Christ's desires. And that sacrifice put Paul in jail. And he's writing this letter from jail and he's saying, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of Christ. And Paul was a unique example for the Philippians. So he's using his example of following the Lord not for pride's sake, Not for boasting's sake, but for motivation for the Philippians. To tell them that they have specific examples to notice and emulate if they will pay attention to them. He's basically saying, look how I live and do likewise. Or I like what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In another translation, it says, follow me as I follow Christ. Nobody gets the glory here except Jesus, not even Paul. If we see people living for the kingdom of God, they got that example from Jesus. We all got this example of living for the kingdom of God from Jesus. So Paul basically says, imitate those people because they imitate him. 
Find good examples of Christian living because those examples emulate our Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul finishes off with one of the most sobering things he could ever say to anybody. And it's all still about getting a grip for living for the kingdom of God. He says this. He says in verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul gives us a description of those who do not have a grip living for the kingdom of God. And the very thought of these people's destiny moved Paul to tears. He begins by calling them enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, Paul, that's a strong term. Enemies of the cross of Christ? Why can't they just be not interested in the cross of Christ? Are the people living for this world really God's enemies? I mean, that's a strong term. Well, let's consider the result of those who do not have a grip living for the kingdom of God. What do they live for? Isn't it the opposite of the kingdom of God? Isn't it the kingdom of darkness? Is there any other spiritual kingdom to live for? Are those who don't follow Jesus just good-natured Americans? Was anyone not created by God to do his will? Anyone. Was anyone not a sinner and a rebel of God by nature? Was anyone not not in need of salvation? Was anybody not controlled by the devil? Was anyone not destined for hell because of their sins? And the quite clear answer to that is no. We're either in God's family or we're God's enemies. It's that simple. Those are the only two options. So based on that, what is the only possibility of those who reject the cross of Jesus and instead live for worldly things? And Paul tells us very plainly, they are God's enemies. Make no mistake, and that should terrify us to be enemies of God or to know anybody who is an enemy of God. And here's the destiny and the resume of these enemies of God. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, can you tell by looking at that why Paul is crying while he writes this? He had completely given himself to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus. And he knows, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that there were still some among us who have yet gotten a grip on what matters the most and are continuing to chase the vain, temporary things of the world. And that thought crushed Paul. It crushed him to know that. He might not be able to change them all, but by God's grace, he can encourage the Philippian church. He can encourage Wyoming Valley Church to get a grip while there's still time to do so. Now, enemies of Christ, as he said, have three characteristics that define them. Enemies of Jesus have three characteristics that define them. Number one, their God is their belly. Number two, they glory in their shame. And number three, their minds are set on earthly things. And therefore, unless they get a grip one day, their end is destruction. That's what the word of God says. Now, number one, their God is their belly. What does that mean? Well, it means they serve whatever their inward desires tell them to serve. Their God is their belly. Whatever their inward desires tell them to serve, they serve. If it's lust, they serve lust. If it's power, they serve power. If it's food and drink, they serve that. 
If it's fame and fortune, they serve that. If it's money, then money. If it's the base sinful pleasure and desires of the world, then so be it. Do you see why they're enemies of the cross of Christ? That's the exact opposite of what Christ lived for. Christ, according to Philippians, the chapter right before this, told us that God and Jesus gave up their desires for the will and the kingdom of God. Jesus left everything in heaven, everything good, everything he would have wanted as a son of God, he gave it all up to serve the will and the kingdom of God. But people who don't have a grip, their God is their belly, and that's the first description. Paul goes on to say that they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. Apparently, it's not even bad enough to live against the desires of their God and Savior, but they need to glory in the fact that they do so. They need to go on TV and on the internet and have parades to let the world know that they love their sin. But instead of getting angry at them, Paul is weeping for them. Because they're so blind and they're on a fast track to destruction that it breaks his heart. Does the destiny of the lost break our heart? Because it should. It should. This is a devastating, devastating description of anybody. And then he leaves the most benign sounding one for the last. He says, with minds set on earthly things. Now that one doesn't sound as bad after the first two things. Their minds are set on earthly things. Okay, so they have their minds set on family and work and school and hobbies and friends and memories and leaving a legacy, etc. Why is that so bad? Now, sure, enemies of God love sin. We just discovered that. And sin does kill. But here's the thing about sin. Sin is just the result of having the wrong mindset. Did you know that? If you have the wrong mindset, your actions will follow. If you have the right mindset, your actions will follow. So every time you and I sin, we're focusing upon the wrong thing or the wrong person. If our vision was always on Jesus and the kingdom of God, sin would seem ridiculous to us. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on the things of the world, then sin seems normal, sin seems pleasurable, and sin can even seem, even seem right to us. Right. And yes, Paul is describing unbelievers here, but he's also giving the church a warning that the same mindset can captivate them if they're not careful and if they don't remain focused on the kingdom of God, or we're going to call it once again, if they don't get a grip. But Paul has a solution for all of us. This is how he ends it. Very encouraging. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul finally contrasts the enemies of Jesus with the church. And although it makes a lot of sense for sinners to think about sin, it makes zero sense for Christians to focus upon the world. And the reason for this is one amazing but very simple, profound thing. We are heavenly citizens. We belong to heaven. This world used to be our home, didn't it? This world used to be our home, but there's an amazing parallel in the Old Testament for where we are right now in the Christian life, okay? 
This world right now is our spiritual Egypt. Do you guys know that? Back in the Old Testament, the days of Moses, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. We know the story about the stories of Moses, and God sent them a deliverer, Moses. And he went and he brought the people, took a while, but he brought the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the wilderness, and then he said, you will be in the wilderness for 40 years and you will wait and journey toward your promised land. Isn't that what he said? You and I have now been called out of captivity. That is the world. That was our spiritual Egypt. And we've been brought into this Christian life that you can call the wilderness. That's where we are right now. We're in the wilderness journeying with our deliverer, who not is Moses this time, now it's Jesus. And he's doing it in a spiritual way right now, but one day, Paul says that king himself will return to this earth, to our wilderness, and he will deliver us finally and fully, and he will bring us to our promised land. Get there here in a minute. And Paul says he will also transform our lowly body, those earthly lowly bodies that I described at the beginning that kind of break down the older you get. And I'm sure you guys feel that more than I do, unfortunately. Paul says the day is coming, Christ follower, when those bodies, those frail, aching, creaking bodies will be given, will be taken away and you'll be given a brand new glorious body. And this earthly, harsh environment, the wilderness that we live in now will be gone forever. Aren't you looking forward to that one day? When this body, this achy, creaky old body is gone and the glorious body is here and this wilderness that we're living in now is gone forever. We won't have to fight any more pain or sadness or sin or temptation. And so Paul says, get a grip. Get a grip for the kingdom of God and get your eyes and your minds off of the silly, vain, temporal things of this world. Our lives were so hopeless that Paul can't even describe them without weeping. Are we still seeking after this world? Still, at this point? May it never be because we are heavenly citizens. Now, did you ever go up somewhere very high? I know that's even terrifying to look at right there. But if you've ever gone up somewhere high, maybe you guys are scared of heights, maybe you're not, but if you've ever gone to a, a big cliff or you've hiked up somewhere high and you've looked over the edge or maybe a building or even gone on a really tall ladder, Someone may have said this to you. Someone may have given you a piece of advice as you do that. Do not look down. Do not look down. I don't know if you're terrified of heights, but the strategy for going up somewhere high is quite simple. Don't look down. Because if you look down, you might begin to think that you shouldn't be up where you are. And you might so crave to be down, you either might lose your focus and you might stumble. Or in a moment of panic, you might lose your mind and you might leap to your death. So don't look down. Paul is basically pleading with us today, do not look down. Do not look down. Your life, your hope, your future, your joy, and your Lord are all up. If you keep your focus on what's above, and that's what he says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Remember this passage? If then you have been raised with Christ, which you have, if you're in Jesus, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are, that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because if you desire the most important things, you will get a grip living for the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Don't look down. But if you lose your focus on Jesus and you lose your focus on the kingdom of God and you begin looking down, you will be like those wretched souls Paul has already described, whose God is their belly and whose end is destruction. And before we close today, we must remember how we can all get a grip on living for the kingdom of God. How can we get a grip or how can we keep a grip living for the kingdom of God? And you might mean, you might assume the solution is just to try really hard, right? Just try really hard to keep your focus and don't look down. And then you will stay focused and living for the kingdom of God, right? That's the solution. And I believe Paul would firmly say, no, wrong. The only way to keep our focus and to get a grip on living for the kingdom of God is to commit to the church through unity, through fellowship, and through service. It's that simple. Now, I'm going to use an illustration here today. Pretty simple one. I was going to ask for a volunteer, but I don't think I need one. Um, I brought in a couple illustrations today. This is going to be, I stole this from my children, so they need to get it back. They'll be angry with me. This is going to be the world today, okay? It's circular, nice sphere thing. Um, this is the world, okay? And right now, a lot of people have a firm grip on it. Firm grip on the world, all right? And a lot of people are trying to do something that the scripture never says you can do. They're trying to grip the world and grip the church at the same time. They're trying to carry both. Now, if this is actually the world, there's no way I could carry it. But here's what basically what people are doing. They're trying to hold on to something. They're trying to grab something else at the same time. And they're trying to balance these. This is going to represent our church. It's the only thing I can find. And Paul is basically saying, this is the only solution for you today. If you want to get a grip on the kingdom of God, you have to lose the grip of the world. And you have to grab tightly the church. You have to grip the church. Grip it. Grip it hard. Grip it real. Grip it tight. Because if you do, then you will have the best chance possible to serve the kingdom of God. Because everything that the God has given you through the church is for your benefit in order to serve and focus upon the kingdom of God. So Paul's counsel to us is this. He says, join in imitating me. I don't have that on the screen. He says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, watch and emulate those who are faithfully following Jesus and serving the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, we need to be around heavenly citizens. That's what we need. Therefore, we need to be in a place that has several of those kind of people. And where are those kind of people? And they're all in the church. In order to remain focused on the kingdom of God, we need to be around heavenly citizens, just like us. And the best place to find those people is right here in the church. And remember, very quickly, the series of our family, it's only by these four things. Number one, you've got to be brought near. You have to be saved. You have to turn from your sins, and you have to turn to Jesus Christ by faith. If you do not have that, if you have not been brought near by the blood of Christ, you have no life and you have no kingdom to look forward to. You first have to be brought near by the blood of Christ. So have you? Have you been brought near by the blood of Jesus? I hope that everyone here can say yes. But if not, take care of that today. There is no step two unless step one is crossed. 
Number two, it's by leaning on me. Leaning mean unity and fellowship with your church and me being the church. Are you leaning on your church today for strength and power and boldness? Number three, it's by being in the trenches. By fellowshipping regularly and faithfully with your church family. Not when it works out for you, but all the time. Are you regularly and faithfully gathering with your church? Church family time is coming up this Wednesday. It is another great opportunity to gather and fellowship with your church. And that's what happens on Wednesday. And it's powerful for my soul. If you're not there yet, I highly encourage you to make that a priority in your week. Number four. It's by the perspective of the amazing advantages of being a part of God's family. Do you have that perspective of how blessed you actually are because of the church? Because you're adopted into the family of God? Pastor Mel went over those things. They're powerful. Has that shaped your perspective for how blessed you are to have this thing called the church, which is the family of God? You and I were Gentiles. We are not supposed to be here. Do you know that? Only by the grace of God and only by the blood of Jesus have I found myself adopted into the family of God. That's how. It's all glory to the Lord. So here's our application in order to get a grip, okay? Number one, and they're all going to kind of be related, so I want you to notice the theme here. Number one, have you committed yourself to the Lord and to his church? We've stated it before, but we'll say it again. God's church is the only plan for spiritual success in this life. Have you committed yourself to the church? There's no plan B, there's no other plan, there's no contingency. It is the church or bust. Have you committed yourself to his church? Number two, are you keeping your eyes on the Lord and those who walk according to his pattern? Are you gripping onto the world or are you gripping onto the church? You cannot do both. No one's ever successfully gripped both. So where's your focus? Where's your mindset? Is it on people who walk according to Jesus Christ or still on the pattern of this world? And number three, are you striving to unify and fellowship with your church? And that's even beyond just saying, yes, I'm a part of Wyoming Valley Church. That takes it to a practical level. Are you striving to gather and fellowship with your church? Or maybe I'll ask it this way, where is your commitment level? Where is it? Is it up here only and not in practice? Because that will never transform you. But if you do these three things, you and I will have the best opportunity to get a grip and to keep our focus upon serving the kingdom of God. And if not, then we're in danger. We're in danger of losing our grip by looking down and chasing the vain temporal things of the world and eventually being destroyed by those things because it will be proven, proven beyond a shadow of a doubt at Judgment Day, that we were enemies of the cross of Christ when we thought we were Christians. And everything that you cared about and everything that you lived for has just been destroyed by God. And you will suffer great loss. Wyoming Valley Church, people of God, my family, please get a grip on the kingdom of God and let's do so together. This is the whole point. Because Jesus is coming again soon. And it could be very soon. And I cannot get a grip without you. And you cannot get a grip without me. And as Paul stated at the beginning of this passage, remember that Jesus is worthy of your all.
He's worthy of your all because he once gave you his all. Is Jesus worthy of your all? And will you get a grip for Jesus? And will you begin or continue serving the kingdom of God and his will through commitment, through unity, and through fellowship with your church? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this lesson. Father, it is your word that we preach and exalt today. These are not opinions. They are not slants that I have taken, Father. It is simply the preaching of your word as it's boldly declared by Paul. Father, help us all to get a grip on what matters the most and remember that this life is short and fleeting and the older we get, the less time we have. The kingdom of God should rise as importance the older we get, not fall. Father, help us all to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and to help us do so by committing ourselves to people who do it as well, the church. Father, I firmly believe that if we will commit ourselves to your plan and your church, then we will all get a grip. We will all keep our focus heavenward. And when Jesus comes back, he will recognize us and we will recognize him. Help this church take another step toward this commitment level so that we can reach our dark community and dark world for Jesus. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.